Hi everybody, I'm Peter Travers. Welcome to Popcorn, where we tell you what's happening at the movies. And there's a movie now called Detroit, directed by my guest Catherine Bigelow, that I think is essential filmmaking. I think you need to see it, because what Catherine does in this movie is to deal with the Detroit riots of 50 years ago and an incident at the Algiers Motel that is very intense, but as you watch it, she puts you smack in the middle of it. You're there so you can feel something, you're there so you can maybe understand something, and you're there maybe because you can empathize with something. So uh, I can't be full of more praise for what you accomplished in Detroit. Thank you, so. thank you, thank you. Okay, so we're done. Okay. Yeah. What's <laughs> going on now. in your life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. now, Catherine, what made you say this is a subject I want to deal with, and I want to deal with it now? Well... It was um, pitched to me right about the time that the decision not to indict the officer in the Michael Brown shooting yes. happened. And I think that was probably fairly emotional for a lot of people and frustrating, confusing. And I found the story deeply moving. And the opportunity to humanize what was unthinkable was a great opportunity. You know, and I thought if this could perhaps start a bit of a conversation toward, you know, bridging a racial divide in this country, even just be a small part of that conversation, it was worth it. And, and I felt like to do nothing was not an option. The shock, I think, to most people at first seeing Detroit, because it's 50 years ago, is what's changed. <laughs> We're still living with this racial divide. We have a president now who basically encourages the police to get a little tougher on people when we've seen nothing but statistics that showing how this is not working. Is that, is that part of it? How, do you react now to, because you started it when uh, Obama was yeah. president, right? Yeah, and, um, and perhaps naively, I thought we were in a post-race world at that mm -hmm. point. And of course, <laughs> that was not the case. <laughs> but, um, so I thought, I, I think this is a really it's a, it's, you know, for lack of a better way of descri describing it, race is sort of the third rail of this country. And I think you look at South Africa where there's meaningful, uh, active conversation about truth and reconciliation, and you look at this country, and it's absolutely quiet, you know? And I, I, I mean, for instance, the other night we had a, um, just an example of this movie, maybe doing a little bit of work <laughs> on this behalf, but we had a screening at Capitol Hill that was hosted by Representative John Conyers mm -hmm. because he has a bill that he's furthering to end racial profiling. And there were many congressmen and congresswomen in the audience. And, you know, the film does generate a conversation. And that, I think without conversation, nothing will happen. And so at least that's a step in my humble opinion, a step in the right direction. You and uh, Mark Ball, the screenwriter, yeah. are basically doing this fresh because at the time, I guess John Hershey had written a book about the incident. But this isn't that. This is based on fresh research. Yeah, well, Mark really re-reported it. And then there's also a lot of new research that we were able to do. We made FOIA requests, Freedom Information Act requests. So it was a very... Um, yeah, it's a very, you know, kind of um, well-researched piece. And sadly, you know, the more research we did, the more timely and more contemporary it felt. And that's the part that I thought was so kind of this, 
you know, very disconcerting. And, and it made it even more important to me to tell this story and, and humanize it. Like you said at the beginning, effort to humanize the unthinkable. And in humanizing it, maybe one can achieve some empathy. And with empathy, you can at least have awareness and through awareness, perhaps change. I mean, you've argued that, I mean, with the two films you did before this, Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, especially in Zero Dark Thirty, there were people saying, well, she's pro-torture because she's showing it, you know, when in fact you're depicting what happened. Right. And not taking a judgmental uh, stance in what you're doing. But does it bother you when people just come out of the woodwork and say things like that? You know, well, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, do a comedy. Do a comedy. <laughs> right. Where's that rom-com you've been holding <laughs> right, for so I've been many years? Back on. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just want. Um, no, it's. Uh, I think what what is interesting. What um, I really, I really was introduced to with the Hurt Locker and then Zero Dark and now this movie is the opportunity for a film to be journalistic. Mm -hmm. And in being journalistic, it can be informational. It can take you where you haven't been and open up your eyes to, in that case, what was happening at Bagram Air Force Base. How, how does one go through um, 10 years of you know, a hunt for a particular individual? How do you unpack that process? Mm -hmm. Or in the Hurt Locker, what was going on in, in Iraq? What, what is a, a day in the life of an EOD tech? You know, mm -hmm. what do they do? I, you know, I didn't know. So it's informational. And I think in Detroit, it's really an opportunity to, to look at at race, look at the divide in this country, and and shine a light on it, you know, and and or or hopefully encourage more stories to come forward, and and again more dialogue. I mean, well, sadly, they keep coming forward in the headlines. Right. We just keep seeing it happen. Right. You know, so obviously right. these problems haven't been solved to right. do it. But you, you choose to you and Mark Bull choose to concentrate and to focus on the Algiers Motel incident, which I have to say, I didn't know anything about. I didn't, I knew about the Detroit riots. I knew that, you know, uh, what had made them happen, what was going on about it. But this particular incident, can you just explain a little what that was? Well, in, in Detroit, there is a certainly um, a, a degree of familiarity with what happened at the Algiers Motel. But outside of Detroit, not. And mm -hmm. that's why another, another impetus to make it was 50 years of silence on this horrible, horrible crime. And what happened inside this motel was, I mean, very difficult in a way to understand and describe other than through systemic racism, you know, that contributed to the treatment of these young African-American men, three of whom were killed in the process. Mm -hmm. And my, my hope was that those three men who were killed, their legacy no longer is forgotten. In other words, they are now part of a conversation that connects to Trayvon Martin, to Michael Brown, to Philandro Castile, to Freddie Gray, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, this is, I mean, I think there's a real opportunity in this country to begin to address this, and I know many people are, and my hope was in a very small way to be part of that conversation. Well, I mean, you are part of the conversation because what we're seeing and what must have been held to shoot, it had to be, was making these men be, do what happened to them, being pushed against the wall by the white police and playing something that they called the death game. 
a death game, which is, can you explain a little about what that is? Well, it's sort of like, I guess, a mock execution in order to, um, in order to garner information from these boys. So um, there was a particular threat of sniper fire coming from the building, and hence the Detroit Police, State Police, National Guard descended on this space, and they were determined to find this gun, which never materialized. And, and so that was, um, you know, in and of itself, the threat of sniper fire in the riots was um, tremendously, uh, was, was really a prevailing threat. And, and so they never found that, but nonetheless, they used these, these hideous means by which to try to get information and or find the gun. And inhumane means. And I think, um, you know, I think it's an opportunity to look at the, you know, look at how we, I guess, how we treat one another, how, how um, tactics and protocol of law enforcement, like mm -hmm. I was talking to a congresswoman the other night in the Capitol Hill screening, um, and she was speaking about unconscious bias mm -hmm. and trying to implement in their um, their police management and training programs awareness of unconscious bias, what you do unconsciously, how you treat another person unconsciously, and and hopefully through awareness, those um, those stats could maybe be adjusted. Well, I mean, what we're seeing in the movie is when those police will take this what's called advanced interrogation into another room and shoot at the wall as if you just shot that person because you, those police are being told, you got to find this sniper or else. So we lose anything that's human. <laughs> we, we lose it. And through the character of uh, John Boyega plays of Melvin Dismukes, right. who is a security guard that's there, who's trying basically to make peace and just calm everybody down. No one wants to hear that. You listen to the person who's loudest. You listen to the bully. Well, and what's interesting is Julie, uh, the real Julie, was with me on set all the time. So she's... These are the two white women that are, are also... two white women that are there, which many people feel was a trigger for the escalation of violence that mm -hmm. happened in there. And Julie, her hands against the wall, but she would hear these screams come from the room and the gunshots. And of course, she didn't know till afterward what exactly had happened, but... I can't even imagine going through hours of that and having no idea what's going to happen to you. Where is this going to end up? And you don't see these boys again. And so it, it was, you know, the eyewitness accounts were critical to how we handled the shooting of the movie. And, and, and for Mark, in his writing of the screenplay, he spent time with Larry Reed, who mm -hmm is a character at the center of it. Um, he was a, great a soul singer, the dramatics. In the dramatics, a Motown singer in the dramatics. Incredible, incredible artist. And, and Melvin Dismukes, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. played by John Boyega. Um, and Larry Reed was played, is played by Algie Smith. Beautifully, by the way. I mean, Beautifully, just, I know, I they're mean, so talented. God. My cast, I am probably the luckiest director in the world. I mean, this is such a talented cast, you know, it's, it's not enough just to give a great performance, but you're also playing a musician. You are a musician. You're singing. You do sing. I mean, mm -hmm. there are just layers and layers 
of talent and artistry in each one of these individuals, and I was so lucky. But you're <laughs> shooting that over weeks. Right. Oh, I know. Putting what them through it? that. I mean, really, talk about torture. Right. For an, but I know. the commitment that they have in terms of doing it, and with Will Poulter, who's playing the uh, principal white the policeman principal who's white doing policeman. that, right. he's, I heard that he would apologize to his yeah, co-stars well, afterwards. It was so emotional actually recreating this and not to mention what it could ever have been like for the real individuals, that we, I think there was a tremendous camaraderie that was created on the set, not just with the cast, but with the crew and the cast. And, and they looked to each other for solace, which was very, um, very much in demand at the time. And I sometimes I would, I mean, we did this for maybe th almost three weeks, so it was a really protracted period of time. But um, but I did try to move as quickly as possible. I had a great cinematographer in Barry Ackroyd who kept the set really alive. Yeah, he's good. He's, <laughs> he's amazing. He's amazing. But I remember I, I, I said cut one night at one of the scenes, and I walked out onto the porch, which you'll, you, know, you know when you see the movie, and there's Will Poulter with his head in his hands. And, you know, he just, it just was, this was toward the end of the sequence. Um, and... I knew we had hit, you know, we were at the end. You know, I had maybe a few more shots, maybe a half day left mm -hmm. to do, and that was it. I was, I just wanted to get through this because it's, it was really difficult to, sh really difficult to shoot. Well, yeah, and to have people who were there on set, like you had somebody having to relive that yeah. in such a visceral way. Yeah. And that's what I wanted because your films, these three films in particular, are very visceral. We're in it. And people would say, oh, I, I, I recoil at seeing that. Why do you think it's necessary that they see it as it was? Well, well, I mean, I, I think that there was certainly um, an interest in reality and mm -hmm. being as faithful to reality as possible. And this was a really highly reported you know, experience in, in uh, a rebellion in Detroit in 1967. I mean, the Detroit Free Press won four Pulitzers for it. So it's very highly reported. In addition to the Algiers Motel, there was certainly a significant amount of reporting. And I think having an opportunity to have an immersive uh, re, um, experience with this story can only lend, can only provide a lens by which you have a very um, perhaps honest and truthful reaction mm -hmm. to it. And like Hurt Locker, what is it like to be an EOD tech? You know, you can tell somebody and then you can experience it. And I think when you experience something, I mean, we're, it's how you identify with the screen. You know, there's a relationship. And in this case and in those two movies, it's an active relationship between, you know, you sitting and the theater and the screen, you know, you're, you're, you're invited to be there. And in this case, it's a very experiential relationship with the story. Which is, many times when people are describing what you did in these three movies, but especially in Detroit, because we're so focused on that Algiers Motel incident that's happening there, is that 
oh, it's like a documentary, but it's like no documentary I've ever seen because what you're doing is recreating. There's nobody with cameras when these things are happening. It just doesn't happen. And if you kind of sugarcoated it, then would we feel what we're supposed to feel? I hey, don't would think we so. feel and would we be honest to the legacy of the individuals that were killed? You know, they they were killed in in a absolutely atrocious, you know, it was an atro a series of atrocities that happened in that building and actually an ex a series of executions. And I think to truly, I suppose, come face to face with the honesty of that moment and that night, I think is to, you know, hopefully, I mean, James Baldwin says nothing can change until it is faced. You know, mm -hmm. you're kind of looking at it in the eye and and I think this, we need to, we need to own our history in the hope that we don't repeat it. When does this take everything out of you when it's done? You know? Everything. Because <laughs> it's been a couple of years since Zero Dark Thirty yeah. between this. Yeah. What do you yeah. do? Go into constant, <laughs> some kind of R&R <laughs> &R where it's like, whoa, I'm not paying attention now. I need to decompress. I need to disengage. Yeah, I don't know. They take they take everything I have to give, and then some. Um, I don't know how else to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I. I mean, I'm sure that's the way most most directors work. You know, I just, you know, you, especially a story that you feel so um, strongly about, or a subject you feel so strongly about, and, and, and finding these emerging, this this cast that's has an extraordinary, they're all, each one is an emerging talent and caring so deeply about them, caring so much about the story, I don't know, it's, I don't know how else to do it. Well, first you do it and then you have to, the movie gets released like it is now and we're talking now. Yeah. And you get people that come up to you and say, you're a white woman, what are you doing this movie for, you know? And how do you answer that kind of question? Well, I mean, I, that was my first question to myself, a kind of, I had to sort of uh, cross a moral ethical divide with myself and, and do some soul searching. And, and my feeling was, am I the right person to make the, this movie? Am I the perfect person to make this movie? No, absolutely not. Mm. On the other hand, I have an opportunity to tell this story. So I've, I think what I felt was the opportunity to tell the story was more important than um, than the fact that you know I'm white mm -hmm. and even though that's a really significant component and mm -hmm. I understand that and I understand that I'm definitely on the other side of a racial divide but I also feel like I mean if you used rape as an analogy for instance it's not the person that's being raped that has to change. It's the perpetrator. You know, so I really think that it's incumbent on, on everyone to try to be part of this transition. You know, I think it's not only the responsibility of one segment of our culture. Well, it isn't, and yet, you know, again, the movie raises not only issues, but feelings and that's a very powerful thing to do. I thought maybe the cloud comes a little bit 
for you because you are, and I always want to present you with an award, <laughs> you are the only woman in 5,000 years in the Academy that's ever won an Oscar for Best Director. I didn't realize that the film you? was so old. Oh, it is. It's so old. It's, it's just so been going on forever. And you're it. I guess it was like 80-something years. I have yeah, no idea. Yeah, but yeah. it was, this was something. Does that help you? Does, it, does having that cloud help you to, um, to get something done? Well, um, I, I certainly it's not a card I play, mm -hmm. but whether or not there's a heightened receptivity as a result of it, I'm, I'm grateful for it in that I was able to tell this story. And I think this is a conversation that we need to have. But I'm, you know, I'm certainly not walking in the door saying, hey, I won this Academy you Award. No, you, you didn't bring it with you today. No, I didn't. I, I forgot just, it. I'm so <laughs> upset that it's, it's right not, down there. Here. No, it's it's not, not there to see it. Right. There are a lot of uh, admirers of yours from back when you were starting in this business where you were doing genre. You were doing the point breaks in a movie I love called Near Dark, which oh, was you, you were there first with the, the this vampire stuff. That vampire was Western. Vampire Strange Days, <laughs> you know. Are you ever going to go back in that area, or are you doing only rom-coms from now on after <laughs> Detroit? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I do love working in a medium that has the potential to be topical and timely, and, and that kind of subject matter really challenges me. I really am drawn to challenging material. Mm -hmm. So... Although I, that's not to say a rom-com wouldn't be challenging <laughs> for me. <laughs> it might be. Yeah. It might be. It might be. That well, might be the most challenging. Luckily, our current political climate will give you plenty of material to work on right. in all of that. Right. But, you know, this show always usually ends where I ask somebody to do a little bit, some kind of music, you know, some yeah. kind of song. But I don't know whether, well, although Algie does that song, because yeah. I saw him doing that one video where he's actually with, Larry Reed, yeah. Cleveland Larry yeah, Reed, that's and they're doing Grow. it. That's a, oh. It's a song that Larry wrote, uh, sorry, that Algie wrote, Algie wrote, and then Larry sings it with Algie, and it's absolutely beautiful. Talk about two periods of time yeah. and coming together yeah. in some way that you want this movie to do. Yeah. But Catherine, yeah. thank you. Thank you thank for you. the movies you make and for being here. Thank you really. for your support. I couldn't do it without it.